What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly. And this week, we are going back to the Desert Island. We're going to be talking comics at Desert Island Comics. And I'm joined by a good friend of the show and an alum of the Comics in Motion uh, Network. Tony Farina, how are you doing, mate? You all right? I'm very well, Scott. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I love, these are my, I mean, I love the 20th Century Geek show. As you know, I've been a fan. Before we even met, I was a fan. I was a supporter of you back back in the day. Yeah, greatly and, appreciate the support. Greatly I love it. I love the show. It's one of my favorite shows. And um, so I'm thrilled. I'm honored to be a guest on here. I uh, um, this, The Desert Island Comics is, uh, is a great one. There's a BBC show, right? Desert Island Discs? Desert yes. Island. I love that show because they, it's like this, it's the same thing where you can't pick the whole album, you have to pick the song. And so mm. you do the same thing here where it's like really hard because, um, you know, we cheat a little with one of my choices, but um, because it's a, it's a bigger issue. So to try to pick like one uh, floppy, one, you know, 30 page comic is really hard. So I appreciated the, um, the mental gymnastics you made me go through. Yeah, the challenge. I have to admit, Comics and like, albums is different because I say the the sort of like the premium editions they do like one of the one your choice and things like the Killing Joke and yeah you sort of go oh, okay I can let that one go because you know it's sort of a it's less than a hundred pages it's right you know it was sold as an issue that sort of so you can get around that sort of thing um, yeah so yeah, but with yes. the records with the single songs it's always crazy to listen to that it's like how do you pick one song off that album, you know, or it's, yeah, it's, so this is fun. I'm super excited. I'm looking forward to it. Yes. So, well, before we even start, because obviously we're going to go through this, we'll go through them uh, one at a time. Uh, we'll go through in chronological order. So we will go back to uh, the earliest issue and then we'll move through. Um, but first, let's just sort of give it, the audience a bit of a sort of an insight. So what are the three issues that we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, well, the one that I cheated on was um, X-Men, uh, God Loves, Man Kills, which I've actually mm -hmm. di discussed on a different show it, 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 with a different angle um, with Max on Max's show. But it is, uh, hands down, my favorite Marvel comic of all time. Um, it's not even my favorite X-Men team. That's the craziest thing. But it is my favorite Marvel comics, my favorite X-Men comics. So that is number one. Um, and I'm, these are all old, everybody, um, I'm old, uh, so <laughs> nothing from this century. Um, and then we'll cover Batman 442, which is the first appearance of Tim Drake as Robin, not mm -hmm. first appearance of Tim Drake. Um, I, and I was torn on that, but the, really the first appearance of Tim Drake, you don't see him, and he's a point of view character, like he's up. <laughs> um, even though his Robin costume, and we'll, I know we'll talk about that, is exactly the same as Jason and Dick's at first. Um, Tim Drake has always been my favorite Robin and um, this, this is why. And then the third one, and this was tough, um, is going to be Death, the High Cost of Living, number one of her miniseries from 93. And um, I almost picked The Sound of Her Wings, which is Sandman number eight. Um, yes. 
but I, I, the reason I didn't is, um, is because I wanted, this is the first time death really um, shines on her own. While the sound of her wings is her story, she's there to kind of cheer up uh, Morpheus after his uh, grumpy time. Mm. I mean, grumpy, being trapped in a basement for 75 years will make anyone grumpy. Yeah. But, um, but uh, so he has every right. But I felt like having her interact with humans, and um, so so those were my three picks. But it was it was tough, and there I, I almost picked uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, eighty seven, the first appearance of John Stewart. Um, mm. But again, it was like that one felt like cheating because that was at the time, and you had just done the thirty minute um, thoughts on the mm. beginning of the hard traveling heroes, which was when those books then had like two or three stories in them. So eighty seven. Um, the John Stewart was like 15 pages and then there was an Ollie story and then there yes. was a Canary story. So it was like, you're really getting three stories for one. So it felt a little cheaty. Um, um, and I almost picked again, John Stewart's Mosaic uh, uh, number one, because that was the, to me still the greatest maxi series maybe ever. Um, well, uh, one of the things I find interesting about all, all these books, but also sort of, you know, you see about the, um, the, the hard traveling heroes, especially sort of issue 87, where they've got the three different stories. Yeah. What, one of the things I find most interesting is this sort of, um, you know, you've got these old comics. They're not old. We're, we're old. We're old. <laughs> They're still classic is what they are. They're classic. classic. That's what comics. you meant. Right. Yeah. Um, is, is the fact that, that, that 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 story of John Stewart being introduced as Green Lantern is told, like you say, over fifteen pages. Yeah, and it's it's quite a dense story. Oh, like, it's a kick in the pants. Yeah, uh, you know, it's 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 not like today. That would have been told over six issues. Now, right? Yeah, you know, and uh, in that they they do not mess about. Like there's this whole thing of sort of like, yeah, this is where we're going to go with this. It's going to hit you in the nuts. It's going to get to you, and then at the end of it. You know, we're going to establish that he's now the backup um, um, Green Lantern. Yeah. Um, it yeah, and, and, and these sort of have the same thing. Like especially, um, I mean, we'll get into God Loves in a minute. But he, every single one, at least this and the and the, the Batman, like they're, they're not so much dialogue heavy, but they are story yeah. heavy. Uh, and there's a lot of sort of like ideas in there, and they just sort of come at you like one at a time at times. It's like, all right, wow. Yeah. You know. This would yeah. be really stretched out these days. So. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. All three of these books that I picked, because I do the indie comic show, and so you know, mm. there's there was a few indie comics that I that I bandied about, but again, I feel like um, there's really only a, a handful of like one issue of an in, of a modern indie comic that that works in this way. That what I like about these three stories is that while they're superhero stories, like you said, they're not real. Well, death isn't. But they're not superhero heavy. They're story heavy. They're character. These are all mm. character stories. And the reason I love indie comics um, is while there's a plot, they're generally very character heavy. Um, yes. You know, it's like uh, the, the my very first episode was I Kill Giants, which is I, I almost did I Kill Giants six when Maddie fights the fights the monster, mm. the big one, the Titan. I was like, because honestly, when the first time you see Maddie with the hammer in that, I was like, oh. Um, but I didn't because um, I felt like uh, I wanted to highlight some of these superhero or like traditional uh, comics that that are uh, influential to some of these other indie comics and just a different yeah. way of, of comic storytelling uh, than the way the and it's not that I don't like modern stuff I read obviously plenty of modern um, current DC and Marvel comics but uh, 
I, I feel like these stories, again, classics, we're going to say, Scott, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Um, like you said, just the storytelling is different. And I felt like um, if, I, if I'm stuck with just these three, I'd rather have something that, that gives me a lot to chew on and I could come back to again and look in the background and see what's happening. Because um, these are the only three comics I'm going to have on my island. Yeah. And that's it. That's the rule. Well, let, let's start then. I and mean, let's get into sure. to, to God Loves, Man Kills. So it's 1982, I, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it's, to, to sort of boil it down, I mean, it's basically, it, it tries to boil down the, the essence of what is the story of the X-Men. It's that thing about being an outsider, being chosen as the pariah, you are the scapegoat. It takes that and then just basically smashes it across history and sort of says, well, and it's incredibly relevant today, really. But the story sort of pulls out and says, um, you know, yes, we represent uh, every ex every sort of um, outsider there's ever been. You know, we represent the Jews in, in Nazi Germany. We represent, you know, black minorities in sort of lots of Western culture. We represent LGBTQ communities. And then, you know, then you basically held up this person in uh, the villain as sort of like, you know, just almost like ultra right-wing conservative sort of like, you know, no, you are the scapegoat, you are the villain, you are the baddie. And you read through it and you're just like, oof, like everything we're talking about today was still raw and an issue in 1982. Yeah. Um, so but where did you come across this first? I mean, you know, yeah, I was only nine when it came out, so I don't remember reading it. I think in 86 it was reprinted, and I think that's mm. when I got it. Um, I feel like after, I, I should have talked to my cousin about it, because he was the, I was the DC kid in our, in our life, and he was the Marvel, so we would, you know, influence each other that way, and that was how I kind of got into X-Men, which him. But I feel like that was it, and I think it was reprinted in 86, because the original cover and the cover I had were different. Um, so I think I got that 86 reprint and probably just picked it up at a, I don't know, maybe like, who, you know, there, I had a comic shop, which was a few towns over from where I grew up. Um, but a lot of times it would just be like going to, believe it or not, like just like junk shops, like flea markets and stuff. And just my parents would go on the weekends every once in a while. And so mm. I had money. Um, I worked on my grandparents' farm. I didn't get paid. They, my grandparents didn't pay me, but um, my parents would occasionally be like, all right, you know, here's some money because you've been working for free your whole life. Um, and so I'd have some of my own money. And then as I got older, um, like 14, 15, 16, um, then I had jobs so I could buy stuff. So I, I'm sure I just came across it that way. I was like, this looks awesome. Didn't really know other than it was a standalone X-Men book. I didn't have to do any more than buy this one. And that was, that was enticing to me. So um, I'd say that was you know, I was probably like 13. Uh, yeah. Boy, so kicked, kicked me in the ass. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, as a 13 year old coming into this, you're thinking, Oh, wicked X-Men. You know, yeah. I'm going to get to see, I'm going to get to see them sort of fighting Sentinels or going mm -hmm. against Magneto or whatever. And yeah. then the first two pages of this book, Oh, I forgot. I, I hadn't really read it in a while. And I knew Tough. this, I knew this, I know it happens. I'd just forgotten how brutal the first two pages of this book are. Like, you literally see two, and it's, it's, it makes it explicit, two young kids, um, and it's also two young black kids, right. uh, hunted, or their parents have been killed, and they are being hunted 
uh, to the school playground and they are executed and their bodies strung up uh, as a warning. On the swing set, too. On the swing set. With the idea that children would be the first one to find them, not adults. It's terrifying. I'd forgotten that. I I knew this happened, but it can't be that brutal. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm surprised. I mean, the comic book code was was falling away but was still in place not yet yeah, in 82 it was definitely still i mean in, and we'll talk about this in the next one too but the, yeah. you know there's there's a this was pretty tame tame era yeah i don't know how we got away with it I, I i don't know if it's because it was um you know the baxter paper which is what yeah you know, thick it was a glossy maybe it was sold in bookstores i don't know how they got around it um, there must be a loop i mean it's there, not even it's not, I mean, it's not explicit. I mean, I will say it's not gratuitous in that you see them being executed, but it's, 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 it's obvious. It's, it's, you know, it's context, but, um, and then Magneto yeah. finds them and he's, he, he sees them there. So it's not like, it's not like you don't see, like you don't see the killing, but no, you see the bodies. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And it's, it's quite, I mean, one of the things is, I mean, I've got the, I've got it here in front of me, but yeah, it's one of the things as well. The one of the things I was quite surprised about is uh, coming from um, America in particular, which is you know is clearly uh, a very sort of Christian-based country and in all, all its different you know uh, rainbow of varieties. <laughs> but literally, you you don't know who's hunting down these mutant kids to right. begin with, but then straight away you're sort of like, oh you do get sort of an explicit mention and it's sort of the one of the first things is you have someone referencing the bible um yes. um i've got his flaming name now um, striker striker the, yeah striker coming out and basically being this evangelical and sort of quoting the bible straight away it's sort of like this equivocation of god's world which is what it's called you know uh, god loves man kills but this thing of like god's purity and mutants being the enemy is from the off um, and it's it's just sort of also, it's still shocking today. Um, yeah. Well, and and it's um, but it's still accurate today. Mm. It's still it's shocking because it should be shocking, but it still happens because it does. You know, we're recording this still in the midst. It's July, and we're still in the coronavirus is happening, and there are still people who say out loud, "I don't have to worry because God won't let me die." That's absurd. I, I literally saw, there was a video, it was, it was several weeks ago now, but there's a video of uh, when they first opened up the churches um, and there were people going back and there were people interviewing and saying, are you concerned? You know, are you worried? You're going to be congregated in a, in a confined area. And a woman leans out of a car and gets really aggro with a reporter and says, I'm not worried because I am, which I think her words were, because I am covered in the blood of Jesus. And you just sort of like, oh, all right. Okay. Yep. There's no, there's no convincing. You can't come back from that. Yeah, right. And that's why I think Striker and this version of Striker, instead of like the movie version of Striker, mm. this version of Striker is far more terrifying than random general, c- colonel, captain, whichever version of Striker it is, depending mm. on the movie you're in, who's just kind of a dick. This one is is um, a sociopath and has a plan. Like he is evil as opposed yeah. to like he's kind of a dick and i think um this this is the best and i hate i mean i'm not praising him this is the best version of striker because mm. 
Um, I feel like, like what you just said, if you can't convince, if you can't get someone to move off of their um, position, like they're that close-minded, that makes them more dangerous. Yeah. 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 I mean, one of the, one of the weird things in this book is that you get his, his backstory. You do. You know, you get, you get, you get sort of strikers back to it. What brought him to that point? Um, and there's several questions I have around that because it sort of seems like he gets caught in a, the, you know, um, a nuclear explosion, yeah. <clears throat> which is obviously, you know, the, the X-Men, child of the, child of the atom and all that sort of stuff. Get that. Firstly, like, what's he doing near a test site? I know he's meant to be a soldier, but that's still, you know, yeah. more common sense. With a pregnant wife. Um, and then, but then when she gives birth, she gives birth to something that's clearly, you never see it, but clearly right. is, is alluded to being uh, deformed in some way. And so he murders it. <clears throat> and then when his wife comes round from the pregnancy, from, from the birth, kills her. Yeah. Because he's like, oh, right, well, um, I didn't want her to see this and I didn't want to have to deal with it, so I killed her. Um, and it sort of it tries to give him this at no point do they try to make him sympathetic I mean let's be clear they're not trying to give him a sympathetic because you, you see this origin story and you're still like no you were unhinged when that happened like, right that, this hasn't turned you you were clearly crazy to begin with <laughs> yeah yeah well and it's it's like the idea that by killing her um, it, it also is killing any uh, there's no proof that it happened right we mm. see it but other people don't and also it's like he doesn't want to admit that he could possibly be the reason for this like the gene could he just blames her it must be her i'm yeah. her so if i kill the baby and i kill her it's all her fault she had it coming because she was a mutant maybe um and and so yeah he's a monster and and any good villain who doesn't, um, you know, who, who is that convicted is <laughs> worth having because it's, it's his resolution and his, like you said, there's no sympathy there. And, you know, there's lots of, um, there's lots of times when you can read a, about a villain. I mean, we, for years, people have tried to make Joker sympathetic and he's not, mm. he's <laughs> never, I, it doesn't, I'm a Batman fan all the way back and the Joker is evil. I never like him. I never on team Joker. Um, he's a monster and uh, that's plain and simple. Sure, terrible things may have happened to him and that maybe it's not his fault that he's, but he does awful things all the time. <laughs> he, he, mm. he abused Harley for years and he's a monster. Stryker in this is a monster and I love that because it sets up the, the, the conversation that Charles and, and, and Magneto are always having, which is the Martin Luther King versus um, Malcolm X. Do we do violence? Do we, are we passive? The, the, there's a villain that's so bad that makes them temporarily be willing to like come together. Like who's worse than Magneto? Who's worse than, because like Magneto's not yeah. a villain that I ever hate. Like you're always like, I get, I get this see where it's coming from. So I just think that's what makes this so good is, is it's, this was the first time I actually, this book helped me see the gray and Magneto in a way that mm. until this time, and now as an adult, of course, I see it. But until this time, as a kid, I never, Magneto was the villain. Always. Yeah. Um, and he isn't, in this, he's not. 
Well, one of the things I, I mean, that's, I love, we'll get to the conversation because there's a great conversation at the end. And I love the fact that Scott Summers, you know, Cyclops steps in and he's the one that's like, no, 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 you set us up to follow this dream. We're going to, you've got to stick to it. What I like is right at the start of the book, though, there's another piece where um, Stryker is on TV with Charles Xavier. Yeah. They're making a TV. And it comes back to this thing about the, the power of the media <clears throat> and presentation. Uh, one of the key things they have in this is at the end of this sort of this thing is Stryker sort of runs rings around Xavier, oh, yeah. you know, because Xavier's like, well, no, the genetics of this and da, 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 da. And, and you can tell Stryker's like, the people don't care. No one cares about that. But the, what they do care about is there are people out there or there are beings out there with these powers that they could do this. They could come into your home. And it makes me think, they, I mean, they did it in the first X-Men movie. They, they moved that dialogue to Senator Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it becomes that thing of like, well, I've got this list here and there's ones here that could just work into Fort Knox. There's ones here that could do, you know, they, they can harness magnetism, electricity, da, 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 you know. And it, it's that thing of fear, isn't it? And it, it almost feels like, weirdly, like a, a Fox News talking heads, isn't it? Where Oh, yeah, it, this is like... The, I mean, somebody read this and was like, yep, we could do this. We could, we could yeah. make this show happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, 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 I mean, it's so good. I mean, I'm just looking at the dialogue. It's sort of, they even acknowledge that, uh, you know, maybe Charles Xavier doesn't look the right way to have gone on screen. He looks quite grim and, you know, stern. And, and so they're like, well, maybe they should have sent somebody else on. And it's, I love the fact that they're acknowledging this. So, yeah, yeah we, as, as people, we're a bit stupid and we'll buy into pretty much anything if we're told to. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's it's still the way. It's still the way. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, every day, every day, my dumb president says something terrible that's just a bold faced lie. And people are like, yep. It's, and then what happens is, is, and this is what is so genius about what Claremont does here. First of all, the show that they're on is a real show in America. That's a real, mm. that Nightline's real. Like, that's a real thing. So he used actual names of actual things. So he made it, yeah. he grounded it in the Marvel way. Marvel's always grounded in a real place, which I, which is great. And all three of these books that we're doing are in real, like the real world exists. So I, I, I find that fascinating. But what, what he does is, um, he, it's the news site. So he, Stryker says what he says now on a news program, which is really just a debate show, Nightline. And then um, at the time, now it's really just more like, you know, like long form kind of news. But so then the next morning, the morning news reports on what happened. Now it's become news. And so now he can then say, well, the news reports say, and that's what the dumb president that I have does. Mm. And all politicians do, but this dumb president, this is the one thing that he's a genius with is manipulating the masses and it's the same thing it's like well somebody's reporting on it well they're reporting on it because you said it yes you up a lie it's reported on and now you can pretend it's a fact and that's what striker does and it is so amazing that this was 1982 um it's 2020 the same shit's happening we as you said we, we're we're willing to we have not gotten smarter we'll just say that no i mean this is what two years into reagan so two years into reagan yeah when did when was when did Thatcher, when was she there? Right. 79, so she's three years. Here. Three years into Thatcher. Yeah. Two years into Reagan. It's the same thing. We, we, yeah, we, I know. <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. Exactly the same, yeah. Um, but the one thing I find interesting about this as well is, like you say, you, you have your sort of top tier villains in this. You've got Stryker, 
And then below him, he's got what he refers to as his purifiers. They're like oh. his army, his, his elite squad. And then beyond that, though, what I like about this is, again, it doesn't just have them as some sort of detached uh, entity. You know, like sometimes you have like Magneto and the Brotherhood of Evil and all this other stuff. Right? The, Brotherhood the Marauders. Of Evil. Do you remember them? I love the Marauders. Yeah. Right? yeah, hey, we're the Marauders. We kill mutants. Like that was their tagline. I was like, what the? I love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, the, but, the, but those sort of groups are sort of like um, elite separate. So you can sort of, you know, so you go, okay, yeah, they're the baddies, that sort of thing. But there's a scene in this, again, at the beginning, where um, Kitty Pride, who, who becomes central to the story, yeah, is yeah. confronted by some idiot kid at, at her, I think it was her dance gym, class. Dance yeah. class. And he calls her up, he calls her out, and, and He's just a teenager, and he's he is regurgitating the stuff from Striker, and um, it's that thing of like you can tell like yeah this is getting into the populace this is yeah. becoming popular opinion. I mean there's, a, there's it's again some of the language in here I'm not sure you'd get away with today because she then confronts her black teacher and mm -hmm. sort of says you know I'm not going to use the, the wording no I'm no no yeah but but like she confronts her and says them calling me mutie is no different to me calling you the, yeah. the n-word and, and, and to, to be fair the, the teacher's like uh, i think um uh, pieta said piotta peter says to her i'm really sorry she said that and the teacher's like no but she's right mm -hmm. and it's no different yeah um, and it does it's, it's that chord that they're trying to set this up of like again this is permeated it's just the same as racism um it's just the same as, as segregation it's all that and so for it to happen it's just it's really interesting it is, and you know, it's, it's what I noticed last time I read it. If you look real close in that scene, and this is not discussed really anywhere else in the X universe, Kitty is wearing a Star of David. Yes. It's like Kitty's, Kitty's Jewish, and I had no idea. You know, like, Kurt wears his faith on his sleeve, right? Kurt, yes. You know, we all know he would have been a priest if he weren't born Nightcrawler. We all understand that. Um, and, you know, Peter... It, it, his faith comes out and, and it's like you know logan of course he doesn't want to talk about it or doesn't remember mm -hmm. whatever, but like kitty's just always been like this kid and so you never really thought about it and in this it's like front and center if you look it's there it's not like we don't there's no other talk in the entire book that kitty's jewish but there it is and it was like oh man what a kick and i and I don't really remember that in the rest of the X universe, but just a subtle way to set that up to again. Yeah, her faith, her faith is one of those things that is never hugely acknowledged, which is fine because it shouldn't be. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not her defining factor. But they right. they have wheeled it out for stories before and used it quite well. And in this, I think because you know Magneto's story, because it was Claremont. I didn't realize this that Claremont was the one that gave Magneto his. Um, uh, Jewish, um, right? Yeah, Claremont concentration yeah. town. Yeah, before then, it was just a generic, literally helmet wearing baddie. That yeah, Stanley wasn't. I mean, he's the master, of course, but he wasn't that deep. No, no. <laughs> but the, but in this, I like the fact that there is this sort of like an acknowledgement of if you can see it in her her faith is there. It does parallel her to Magneto. Yeah, I know it's amazing. It was so cool to see that they never caught this when I read it, you know, a while ago, like maybe a year ago when mm. I did it, that was the first time I noticed. And I was like, oh, I mean, and maybe when I was 13, I, I caught that or I knew, but it was like, oh man, it's just right there. And it's just such great storytelling because Claremont who loves words, this is the one time where he let Anderson do the talking, where he was like, yeah. 
I'm just going to have you stick that in there. And if people catch it, great. We don't have to talk about it. Well, one of the things I would say is that because we've talked all the positives of this, and there are some, yeah. because it is one of these amazing things, and there is a lot to know, and we'll get to sort of the finale in a minute and stuff. But there's one part in this book which I find, I find is an odd, um, I don't know, it's almost like they've got to have action, because it's obviously yeah. it's an X-Book, so you know, they want to have all those sorts of factors. And there's a moment where Kitty Pride is being chased down by the bunch of purifiers, and she comes across basically a gang out of the warriors, no, for sure. I know you can always hear warrior. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come out and play. Um, it feels very really like that. But it, for all for all the good that it's done in this idea, you then get this gang that basically declares that they're going to rape her in 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 not so that's outright, but that's clearly what they're indicating. Um, and they are made up of you know sort of Hispanics, blacks, as an Indian. And it's sort of like all of a sudden you're like. Um, yeah, you, you, all the good you've done, you sort of, oof, you, you're sort of treading a fine line here, Claremont. Yeah, I know. I find that 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 whole because um, there's some other good action scenes. There's like Peter has mm. to stop a car, and um, you know, uh, there's a couple even they just randomly throw in some battle room scenes just to so that they do something. Because you're right, this is a sit around and talk. We haven't really even talked yeah. about the X-Men, which is why this is one of my favorite books, because the X-Men are there, but it's not really about them. You know, it's about yeah. their existence as opposed to them, like, being badasses. But you're right, that that moment um, is, it, 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 I guess you can look at it, too, it's a product of its time while you're trying, like, every time somebody breaks down a barrier and does something positive, there's still always something um, that that person can learn and yeah. um, this, like, Storm's not in this, right? She is, but she's, her and Scott get sidelined. Right. Um, uh, really, right until the end. Yeah. 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 So, so you take the really only, um, you know, black kid, she's an African princess character, um, and you remove her from it. So, and I, I've always felt like, while well, Claremont invented Storm, and he invented Forge, um, who's Native American, um, mm. but he he didn't do race very well. Like for a book that's about race, you still put two white guys at the front of it. So it's, and again, it, it, it's a, whether that's a commentary, this is the question. And this is, I'm glad you brought this up because um, you know, Hamilton just released on Disney Plus. So we saw um, it in the theater uh, back in January, like with the touring cast, but to watch the original cast. And so there's this conversation happening now. It's like, well, my problem with Hamilton is they don't directly confront slavery in it. And I'm like, the cast of Hamilton is what's confronting <laughs> slavery. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? David Dix yeah. is playing Jefferson. Um, mm. I, I don't know what else, what more you can say. The fact that it's a yeah. cast of minority actors playing slave owners. That's the commentary. Like, we don't need to now do a Chris Claremont word bubble to say, uh, audience, there's a commentary on slavery. It's weird that people of color yeah, yeah. who would have been owned, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's pretty obvious. So... I don't know that Claremont is doing that by suddenly having this um, ethnic minority uh, gang out of out of the Warriors. I think that's that's great. Um, be that I I don't know if like he's he's showing us something and it's supposed to be. I, I, I don't think it is. It feels it feels a bit like it's an action scene. You know they've grounded this in New York and the real world, 
they wanted something to feel gritty. I think it, that's what it what it feels like to I, me. Okay, yeah, it's probably right. I'm sure that you're right. It's just like but, I was trying to say there could be that argument that he was being super meta. Probably yeah, not. but it, that's one way to look at it. We, yeah. It just maybe doesn't translate. Maybe that's the one part of the book that hasn't aged particularly well. Well, and the fact um, that and the fact that Kitty said that what we talked about earlier. The fact yes. that he says that didn't age well. Like you said, there's a zero percent chance that's happening now. Well, one of the things you say about the, the race as well, which I find this interesting, is you say about the team. But the team that sort of that ends up sort of going up against um, uh, Stryker without sort of Scott and Aurora sort of are quite are quite different. You know, you've got um, you end up with a you know you've got a Russian, you've got a German, you've got a Canadian, and then you've got a, you know a young American Jewish girl and stuff. So you you have quite a dynamic team. However, it's never that bit like you say isn't really gotten into yeah um and, and it's, so that's sort of almost a, i feel sometimes like a missed opportunity um, i do too and maybe and we don't know what the editor i don't remember who the editor of this i don't know how much chris got edited i think mm. in of his powers they kind of left him alone um, i was gonna say the, the amount of dialogue that's in here i don't think there was a great deal of editing <laughs> That's true. Again, if I'm on my island, I need to, I love words. I need to be able yeah, to Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, yeah, so, right, I feel like they're, this is one of those things where he's like, I'm fucking Chris Claremont. You're not going to tell me what to do. And if I'm going to sideline the two leaders of the X-Men, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and maybe it was, and again, could it be because I was always on Team Storm, you know, during that battle. Mm. Um, I was always Team Storm. I think it was X-Men 201. I almost picked that one. It was like, who will lead them? Do you remember? And it was like, they were fighting in the... I, I, that book is so good. And I am always was Team Storm. She was always my... Um, like, I'm like, I don't like Scott. I mean, he's fine. But if they need to have a leader, it needs to be Storm. Because she's the smartest... Of the two of them, she can handle it. You know, she doesn't get overly emotional, which is the best part about her, right? She's so... She can get pissed, but in general, like, she doesn't get mad at the team. So No, she, she is a really, like, calm influence on the team, isn't she? She's, oh. she's, got the, wise, she's the wise one. She's always yes. back and she's like, it's wisdom. No, no, right. This is the way it should be. I know you want to do that, but this is the way we've got to do it. And Scott's the one that's like, blast things! Yeah! <laughs> right. <laughs> Literally, right, right. Yeah. Take her from his eyes. So I feel like maybe Claremont removed the two of them from it so, to, so we're, that wasn't the conversation yeah um, you know of well who's going to be in charge well if neither of them are there then nobody's then they're yeah I, and i like that that it does it's because it's, it's, it's an, almost an like inexperienced team and they acknowledge that that's what yeah. that's the other thing i like about the, the danger room scene is that um it acknowledges that they're not a hugely cohesive team they have to think about things it's not normal so they are going up against an elite military force at one point and they're not a, a set up team so um it, it does add that dynamic that they're quite young <laughs> let's get to the end though because i think yeah. you know because the end i think the, the climax of this really introduces several really interesting elements so um it, it is replicated in some of the films but um striker holds a rally <laughs> of course uh, at madison square garden um and whilst there, he also he's also created a technology utilizing um, the uh, telepathic capabilities of Charles Xavier to basically target and find mute people with a mutant gene, yeah. and basically some sort of disruptor. So it gives a really bad headache. They're bleeding from their eyes and nose and ears and stuff. 
And at the same time, he's given this almost like a, a sermon of evil about why mutants are evil and sort of stuff. And the, so you've got all the, the action in the background of the, the, the X-Men trying to get there to sort of stop him and save Charles Xavier. But then you've also got throughout it, you see him giving this sermon and then little pockets in the audience of people's reaction of whether or not they're for or against. And it's just so well done. Oh. It, you know, uh, what are your thoughts on, on all that? Yeah, I think it's, again, it's really prescient and it was, um, you know, the, the, the mega church evangelical thing has never really gone away. Uh, no. Television is what made it happen. It's what keeps it going. Now it's the internet and Twitter and whatever. So um, I loved it. I loved, um, again, this is, this is such a human story in the middle of an X-Men story, which is, again, mm -hmm. the commentary. It's like, well, they're just, just folks too. They just happen to be born with a healing factor or blue. Um, it's not, they didn't, you know, Kurt didn't choose to, Kurt would be a priest. We, I mean, that was Kurt's, Kurt would rather not be this, <laughs> you know, yeah. this is his life. So he just has to live it. And so I think, um, seeing the way that the human reaction there during the big rally, um, is important because you end up understanding how there are still going to be some people who, who get stuck up with the madness of the, of the mob and some people who will, sit back and of course we always know those people who are who are willing to take a step back and go whoa this is too much they're the minority yeah well, one of the things i find interesting in this is you get glimpses and there is um you get the mob, the mob. And even within the mob there's a couple of people you know you get the sort of there's a moment when magneto is struck down and he's weak and the mob's about to attack him and all this other stuff uh, a couple of things that, how you say, haven't aged well. Um, <laughs> but the mob are very much like vain for blood, like literally, like, you know, there's, there's, they are saying they're going to do whatever to him. And it is like a mob. They've literally depicted them to be like <clears throat> hysterical. It's that hysteria. Yeah. And you have watching on some senior politicians, and it's sort of, it's sort of they're saying, there's someone sort of saying, um, you know, they're going to kill him, this is insane. And it's, strike has gone too far, and it's almost they want they're depicting that. Well, don't worry, the people in power can see that this is wrong. This this politician is seeing that this is wrong, and he's going to do something about it. And then also you have the police. Like there's several members oh. of the police that are sort of like guarding the audience. And it, I mean, we'll get to the, the the very very climax. But there's the police sort of protecting Magneto and saying yeah. like, no, you can't. You have you know yeah we know he's done sort of thing, but you can't kill him. And to me, I don't know, it feels unusual. I mean, this is 1982, it's from the same, but I, I wouldn't see that they would depict, um, I mean, you know, police, I think, Rocky, especially at the moment, but politicians being on the side of right. But this, this sort of says, well, the mob is wrong, but people in authority are, you know, are going to be fair-minded and, um, you know, on the side of right. And we know that's not really the case. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like it was... Um... Again, because this is such a human book, even though it's about mm. students, it's a human book. So I always felt the police officers um, making those choices, hard choices, um, were showing, you know, they're the heroes in this scenario. Yeah. Like being smart, like not, they don't go, they don't get caught up with the mob. Mm. And so I feel like that was, um, that's the commentary there is that, that a few people, now granted they're people in authority with weapons, but a few people could stand up to a mob. 
I think like that was what I, I've always felt about that. I, I would have preferred it to have been um, just as a callback. And again, who am I to question the master? But a callback to the opening horrific scene. I would have preferred to have seen Magneto saved by Magneto saved by human children. Yes. I, oh, that would be amazing. I would have preferred that. And I know that's, but but it, I think it would have made the point a little bit more. But I get what you're because it's right. The comment that Claremont is making, you could really read it as propaganda. He's like, "Don't worry, you can have faith in your leaders." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I mean, that's the thing. If if the mob sort of if the mob was almost like self policed by some teenagers or something, mm. that would be almost be a more powerful statement of like the the. The future generations, are, are, you know, because I mean, Striker's an, an old man, but he's, you know, he's a he's a, a man in middle age. It may have been, it would have been nicer to see, maybe as you're right, say that, look, yeah, he's he represents the past and bigotry from the past. These are the kids for the future, and they represent fair-minded, and they're going to be more open and that sort of thing. I think, I mean, I think yeah. that's how it would probably be written today, if you were to. Yeah, because Peter's sister is there. I mean, you have a human mm. in the cast. So it would have been an easy, and, and uh, Kitty's dance teacher. You have, you, I mean, granted she's a she's an adult, but you have human characters that you've put in the book. So it the, it would have made sense for them to have been involved in some way later. So I, I just think that that would have been more powerful as to have, um, yeah. you know, children children saved. But um, no, that that would have been a great moment. And of course, Indy Indy was saved by a bunch of children. Uh, <laughs> too. So maybe they were like, "Look, we can't. We don't want to steal that." I don't remember. We've been that. there. Yeah, we've yeah. done that already. Yeah. Um, and of course, so the, the book ends with sort of Striker pulling a gun on on Kitty, um, but then being taken out by a policeman, not killed. Just he gets wounded and sort of taken out. Um, and then the X Men are just let go because they're sort of and again the police are just saying that like, oh, they didn't do anything. They were just defending one of their own sort of thing and they sort of let go I'm not entirely sure that would be the case because of the property damage they've caused but <laughs> let's let's uh we'll ignore that um, <laughs> yeah my favorite part of the book though is the is his lieutenant what happens to her i mean it's awful but it's also like to me the most gut punchy thing that happens yes yeah yeah i should have skipped over that. yeah it's true yeah. i mean like she literally turns to strike and she's like this beams this this ray thing you've got it's I, I can feel it in my head. My ears are bleeding, and he turns on her. Yeah, and yeah, but, like, you know, they're off the front. Like, you're, all right, out, off you go. Um, but that also again shows how he's irredeemable. Like that was again, mm. Claremont was giving us a chance to like Stryker, and he's like, fuck, nope. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna. Yeah, so um, I love. I, I it's t horrific, but it's kind of one of those. Um, you know, she had, is that what she deserved? I don't know, but that's the commentary that we have to ask ourselves. Is that what she deserved or not? Yeah, yeah. It's, but it, like I say, it ends with, it ends with, like I say, the conversation and, yeah. and Magneto. And, and it's, it's having, I mean, I, I, I see this in retrospect because to me, I, I sort of came up on later X Men books and the X Men cartoon. And so, you know, uh, the gateway the drug, as I keep calling it. That's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Cartoon is the gateway drug for so many people to comic books. That's it, and it's almost like that thing of like you know, it's it's slightly less subtle in that sort of thing. So, yeah. um, so to see sort of Charles almost give up and and see him sort of saying like you know yeah, maybe maybe your way is the right way after all this is quite shocking. I mean, it's you know you are like 
reading it, you're like, no, you can't. You're the paragon of virtue in this. Like, you're supposed to be that guiding light. Um, and so, yeah, to have Scott then step up and be like, you know, no, you started this as a dream. We've got to do it. Um, but more than that, it doesn't end in conflict. Right. Which I love. You know, it's a, it's a, yeah. It works as a one-shot. And what I like about um, this and other like epic one shots like the killing joke it did affect continuity later like mm. this was a one off but it was so important to the mythology of the characters that the events here matter later you know this isn't this wasn't like god loves man kills isn't x men 288 to 214 you know to 289 it's it's not that it's um it's it was just its own book but then mm. important and it could have it had it done well poorly and no one liked it they could have easily just been like this is out of the continuity it's just okay. yeah not in canon and, doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter but because it was so important it 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 plays part and and the conversation between charles and and, and magneto which always is ongoing um changes a little here in the way that magneto this is the moment when magneto becomes less of a villain and more of a, mm. a hero like um, you know, there's a handful of villains who can who could carry their own title, and this is the time when, if you wanted to, right after this, give Magneto his own series, you could have. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know, you say there's a lot. There's always been that thing, and I think Claremont really made him what he is today. Like you know, yeah. the, oh, the, yeah. the, the defining role of, of, of in that and that conflict to sort of, you know, because people always go back and say things like oh, well, it's always been that sort of, you know, Charles Xavier represents Martin Luther King and, um, ex you know, Magneto is Malcolm X. And it's like, well, no, in the 60s, that, they weren't. <laughs> in the 60s, right. Oh, right. They, weren't. they were not. That is all Claremont who did that. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, um, it's easy to say that. And again, I think this is where um, uh, Stan Lee gets more, he gets all the credit he deserves. I'm not trying to, again, mm -hmm. don't hate me and say I'm saying there's anything wrong with Stan Lee, but he <laughs> He's kind of like the ideas man, and he really did that. Like he's like, here's some cool characters. He's a great character creator. Like he's the guy who like starts the rest, of it, but couldn't manage it. You know, that's how I yeah. feel about him. So he he started this amazing idea, but it really wasn't until Claremont that X Men became the X Men that we know. Yeah, no, agree, agree. That, that he defined it for the yeah. future. And, and by bringing in a more diverse cast, I mean, mm. the original X Men was, you know, four white dudes and a woman. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> white woman and um one of them literally turned to ice he was so white and uh, <laughs> one was a blonde angel he was so white you know so it's like okay um so claremont was like let's at least let's at least get an african woman let's get mm. an american person i mean forge didn't come in right away but like he definitely um said let's hey the world's a big place there could yeah. only that the mutants can't just be in the united states let's Let's check into this. So I appreciate that, you know, uh, Peter obviously and um, it, it being Russian, and that was a big deal too. You know, mm. at the height of the Cold War, uh, Peter's character really mattered. So yeah, he he definitely changed the entire way that we see uh, the X Men for the better. Mm. No, I agree, and I think so. And this is a cornerstone of it, I think. Really. Yeah, this book, and for sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, so I mean, I would say, you know, to round this out from my point of view, if you've yeah. seen the X Men movies, you know, and you want to, you want to read some, like, don't, maybe not start here, but there are other, other entry points. But 
this is a key and important book that you really need to experience and read oh. if you're going to be part of X-Men history. Yeah, I think I would, if you've only seen the X-Men movies and you read this, you would recognize this. You'd be like, oh, this is, um, I don't think it's the best place to start. I would no. only, um, you know, you'd want to go back to probably what, Giant? Giant one when Claremont takes yeah that's 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 it yeah and that's not when I did that with with uh, uh, Dave that's uh, right yeah from, from, from yeah and, he I, that, and it's it stands up in so in many many ways I mean <coughs> some bits it's, it's, it it suffers from it being a seventies comic and that you know there's just a very different storytelling style but it stands up in many other ways um, yeah. But one final thing though I didn't know I was I was just googling this and I was looking at how to read it and luckily I've got that ish that, that edition but there's an extended cut of this released. i saw that today i didn't know that i've never read the extended cut no i don't know what's in it and it came yeah. relatively recently uh, so i'm not going to comment on it but i was curious i was like oh that's interesting yeah but, i think i want to go find it now i didn't know until today yeah it would be i think it'd be an interesting thing but it doesn't it wouldn't need it you know it's one of those things that like if this is if that's a theatrical version and there's an extended cut, the theatrical version is, is already very wordy, but it's, yeah. it works perfectly well. Well, maybe the extended cut is like, explains where, where Aurora was and where, you know, why, <laughs> yeah. why she and Scott sat out for most of it. You know, like, I don't know. Or they were like, listen, Claremont, we can't just put an entire book out that has no pictures, that's just words. That's called a yeah. book. Just put, write a book if that's what you want to do. Yeah. It's a comic book. We need some visuals, man. Yes, <laughs> yeah. just a prose book. You open a floppy, you're like, oh, that's a, yeah, that's right. that's a lot of words. <laughs> One small picture. Yeah. Um, okay, so you, that's your first book. I mean, so, you know, you've recommended all of these, really. Of course. Uh, but what, a, what a way to start. One of the most Thanks. important books, I'd say, in Marvel, in X-Men history, but also in Marvel. Yeah, like I said, it's my favorite Marvel book. Um, it, it's, I think it's better than uh, the Civil War. Um, mm. I do. I think it's more important to the X to the Marvel universe as it as being um, like literature, as being like this is the real. We're not fucking around. That's the Civil yeah. War is like the greatest superhero battle ever. But this isn't even a superhero story, which is what. Neither, and the X Men aren't superheroes. Yeah, reluctant. It, you know, um, few of them are like, man, I can't wait to go kill to go stop bad guys. And they're like, fine. Yeah, so that's so. And no, show up in, in. I agree, and it, yeah, so it, it, it comes from an era, and I think it's again one of those things that when you look at this period, I mean, this came out in 1982. Final comment, and that thing of the eighties, and everyone sort of says, "Oh, that's when the comics grew up," and they, they obviously they comment on a lot of things, and people talk about. Um, you know, sort of uh, Saga and Swamp thing and, and Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen eventually and, um, you know, those ones. You know, and in Marvel you have, like, uh, Frank Miller's Daredevil and this thing. Oh. But, but this, yeah. you know, uh, look, man, man, uh, God Loves Man Kills. Like, 1982, like, they were, you know, this is dealing with some weighty issues in a really adult and and sort of conf confrontational way so uh, this book should be talked about in that um i, I totally agree echelon. yeah right but let's jump to the to the other side so we've talked okay. marvel yeah. let's talk dc 
Yes. Uh, and so you, you chose, uh, I'll, I'll just put it, it's chapter five of Alone with Place of Dying. Yes, yes. Batman 442. 442. The From first This was, yeah. this came out in the height of the bat craze. This Batman yes. came out in June. This came out in November. Yeah. So it's an interesting book. It's, um, like you say, it's the, it's the fifth part of uh, the first real sort of Batman crossover between Batman and the Teen Titans. Yep. Um, and uh, it, it's the first introduction of, of Tim Drake as, as Robin. Yes. Um, um, and like I say, the issue is great. I really enjoyed the issue, but obviously I went back and read the whole thing. So did I, I. yeah. Yeah, I was, I was not going to. Um, but it, it sort of... Um, it, it, another thing of opening up issues, again, like this, this book uh, and this issue itself starts to open up this idea of what the hell's Batman doing taking a child right? <laughs> into these conflicts? I know! <laughs> Um, and again, they do try and use some um, psychology to get around it. There's some sort of, some real sort of psychological gymnastic to sort of say, um, no, no, Batman needs a Robin because it's what grounds him and you know stops him from going fully mental and killing people. Basically, is, is what it sort of comes down to. Yeah. And there's a part of me saying, I don't think adding a child is the is the answer. I, I'm thinking therapy. And Alfred says that. Yeah. During, not in this one, but in one of the earlier issues of this run, Alfred says, I think it's issue one of The Lonely Place of Dying. Um, mm. uh, Alfred says to him, he's like, Master Bruce, maybe you need to, some help. And he's like, yeah. I'm just going to go punch things. And so, <laughs> it was, it's- I'm going to find, really find some poor people to beat up. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, what I find interesting as well is sort of, they've never been, they've always tried to do something with Robin. Like Robin's never been just a, all right, it's a Dick, it's a, you know, a Dick Grayson replacement. I mean, even Jason Todd wasn't really that. At first you know. he was, and then they changed him. To the, yeah, yeah. Rat. Yeah. <laughs> they, retro, they retconned him a little bit to be sort of different, but they, they really are sort of trying to set up Dick, uh, um, Tim Drake as something different, aren't they? Sort yeah. of like he's he's proactive, he's intelligent. You know, he's not um, he's not coming from a broken place. No, he's right. His he figure he's he, right. He's just a genius. He figures out mm. by watching TV that Bruce Wayne and Tim uh, Dick Grayson or Batman and Robin at age nine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know if that's in this one or if that's in the in the series. I think it's earlier when he says that, but it's, um, yeah, what, the reason that, that Tim Drake has always been my favorite Robin, well, I was, so I was 16 when this came out. I owned it as a floppy. Um, mm -hmm. I sold it as part of my collection in college to pay my rent. Um, but it, it was important to me. I'm obviously older than Tim, but Robin has always been my favorite character. And I, I voted, I spent the money to try to save Jason. Um, I loved Dick Grayson, obviously. I was a big Teen Titans leader. I liked him as Robin. I liked him as Nightwing. But um, the, the thing about when you're a book nerd who wants to read things beyond just comic books, who reads and like thinks about stuff and thinks staying at home and studying is fun, Tim Drake's your guy. And mm -hmm. so Tim Drake was my guy. I, I just like, 
you know, I, I loved everything. I mean, he was younger than me. He was three years younger than me, but it, he was, he wanted to be Robin and I wanted to be Robin. So he's the only Robin who didn't shoot, who, well, besides Carrie, Carrie Kelly, he's the only Robin who, who likes, doesn't feel forced into it. Mm. He, he does it because he thinks it's the right thing to do and because he's a good guy. And uh, yeah, he's not broken. Um, throughout all of his life, Tim, Tim Drake's life, all of the retcons and the new 52 and rebirth, this has always stuck with his origin, right? Tim Drake is yeah. yeah. the kid, smart kid who figured it out. Um, so I just, the reason that this issue, I picked this one is because um, while he, he looks exactly like Jason and Dick, he's still a white kid with black hair. Um, and he's even puts on Jason's suit in this. Mm. He's, he, his personality, even Two-Face makes the comment about where's the quips boy or whatever. So you're, um, yeah. it was, it, I, 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 it's just love it. I loved everything about it. And again, on its face, you're like, really? Um, like you said, there's some real issues at play there. But, um, but I think that also is important too, is that um, it does, this is really the first dig, big dive into Batman's mental state, which up until this point, no one ever said, why do you keep selecting children as you're, that's, you're weird. What is yeah. happening? Um, so that's my, that's my rant. Sorry. No, no, it's good. I, know, I agree. I mean, one of the things is when it's, it's earlier than this and, um, you know, I think it's, it's when he explains it to, to uh, Dick Grayson about how he's figured it out. Um, and it is, it's sort of like, well, I was, it, it turns out he was there when it happened. I mean, that's one of the things he saw the flying Grayson's fall. Right. Um, yeah. and then, yeah. And then he's sort of like, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, I saw Batman, he comes down and he's sort of like, at first I thought it was this thing of fear and da da da. But then six months later, you've got Robin. Yeah. And I saw this, I saw this gymnastic kid that was doing all this sort of stuff. And uh, yeah. yeah, weird. And then, you know, more, more off recently, sort of, you know, um, Nightwing appears and then, you know, Robin disappears, <clears throat> which is obvious. And then all of a sudden, you know, we know that Bruce Wayne takes on um, uh, Jason Todd as his ward. And then a new Robin appears again. He's like, and I'm thinking, yeah, it's not that, it's not that hard to, to figure out, is it really? <laughs> it's not, oh, if a nine-year-old's figured this out, I'm pretty sure someone at a social services is going, you know, a minute. you know this Mr. Wayne? <laughs> he runs through kids pretty quick, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, right. He does. Yeah, it's... Well, and the thing is, and it, Marv actually wrote around that, yeah. that Jason finds his real mother, right? And so mm. that's why Jason dies, is he dies being, like, being reunited with his birth mother. So they don't even... Um, they get around that because Jason, it's not Bruce's fault that Jason died. It's Jason's fault that Jason died. And so, you yeah. Say, hey, yeah, if I remember rightly, he tells him to leave it alone, doesn't he? And sort he of, does. Uh, yeah. 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 It's, it's, I mean, the thing. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. But no, I say, no, you do see there's a confrontation. But one of the things I find interesting in this is um, Robin's always been shown as, like I said, especially the Dick Grayson one, you know, like I said, the quips and the flips and all that sort of stuff. When Tim fights um, Two Face in this issue, like, he only just survives because Alfred saves him. Yeah, you know it, it's it's sort of uh, which again would raise red flags all over the place of like, what's this old dude sort of doing running in to save this kid? <laughs> um, but I do like the fact that he's not ready. 
He's not at all. He doesn't just jump in and all of a sudden he's taking out villains left and right. Like, no, no, this could have ended in a very different way. Even this scene, uh, and what I loved about it in that moment, and I remember reading this, mm. and Two-Face has, a, has, it looks like the crowbar that killed Jason. It does. The exact same thing. And the thing is, um, the artist of this, so the, the Lola Place of Dying, George Perez does the Titans ones, and um, uh, Jim Apro mm. does this. And he's, I know he's not the best Batman artist. I know that that's Jim Lee, but he's still my favorite Batman artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, cause he does that like kind of like the perspective of the adults are huge. Um, yes. Tim's standing next to them. Tim's 13. He's not like he's eight, but he's really yeah. small. And uh, Jim Ampro is Batman and Two-Face and his Joker's face is like six feet long, right? And he's always so long <laughs> and lean. So yeah. there's this perspective of the of the crowbar and it's almost the exact same shot of Joker killing uh, Jason. And I just, I honestly can remember 1989 being, ter- being like, you're going to do this. It's called The Lonely Place of Dying. Yeah. You, you know, you're setting me up. You show him on the cover. The cover of this issue is Robin in front of the bat symbol. And now you're going to kill him too? Oh, and you're not even going to give me a chance to vote? I was <laughs> so, but then, yeah, Alfred saves the day. And it's, again, a place, a moment for us to love and respect and be happy Alfred exists. But also, um, it was just such a nice callback to the previous thing. It's just such a tight issue. And again, if this is the one I'm taking on the island, I know the previous five, the previous four, I kind of needed to read. But um, mm. there's enough in this one that if you just got this one, it starts with him holding an empty Robin suit saying, well, maybe Batman needs Robin. And you can think about it. Like you said, the psychological aspects of this. Two-Faces psychology, Joker's role in it, Bruce and Dick's relationship. Bruce and Alfred's relationship, and then this new kid. There's so much that if you only read this Batman comic, you could spend alone on your desert island years thinking about and coming up with scenarios about what will happen next. Yeah. It's a great. It's an ending, but it's really the beginning of the new chapter of, of the Bat world. And, and this book is that one. And so to me, that's why I picked it, because I thought, well, I can... No, I, I, that's a really good point. And I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. It's just like a turning of the corner, isn't it? It's sort of like, you know, it's weird. It's almost like them writing themselves out of a corner a bit as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, oh, we're going down this dark place with Batman. Um, I think we need to address that in some way. And they do it well. Um, and, but like you said, it's not neat. And that's what I quite like about this is it's like, it's not sort of like, and now he has a new Robin and off he goes. There's this whole thing, like even at the end of it, like the, 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 the sort of like the, uh, the epilogue is them, they're back at the manor and it's sort of like, well, what are we going to do with you? Because you now know everything. pretty much everything. Um, and he says, look, if I'm going to take you on, like you're going to train, you're going to do this, you're going to understand, and, you know. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll earn your trust. I'll do it. And it's not just a, right, let's go on and fight crime, chum. It's, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's and a so lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I love it. It's real. This is, again, mm. this is for a, a, a man putting on a bat costume. Uh, <laughs> George Bush is the president in this universe. Yeah. He's mentioned in there. So this is, re- and I don't know that it's in this one. 
or if it's in this series, like Two Face is talking about blowing up the Twin Towers. Oof, yeah. And it's like, holy shit. I mean, it's, it's crazy how rooted in reality this book is. Um, and, it, 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 and it does just that. It, it, it makes it, Batman's still, it's still a dark comic, of course, but Jim Afro's Batman is the least dark of all of, you know, I mean, mm. notwithstanding the early, early stuff, but in the modern era, it's the least, um, he drew Batman, not detective, right? So there's, there's, yeah. a, reason, there's a reason for that, because Batman is always the lighter uh, comic to detective comics. The so, more action focus one and that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, in general, I like detective comics better um, than Batman comics, but this is because this one is the action is. I mean, mm. action. There's a lot of standing around and Bruce yelling. At yeah. there's, I mean, there's not a lot that that happens here. So, um, yeah, I, I I agree. It's it's like you said. I think that's right. Exactly what you said. You've turned a corner here, and if this is the only Batman comic you've ever read, you learn everything you need to know. I mean, imagine if this is the first Batman comic you've ever read. You learn everything you need to know about Batman for the next. 30 years. Until Damien, these are the four people you need to know. Yeah. No, it's it. And it's, it's such a, it's, I mean, this whole book's well established and it sort yeah. of picks up, it ties up threads and starts new threads so well. It's, it's a transition book. It really is a transition book. I mean, you know, you know, I know we're focused on this, this issue, but within the book, like, you know, you, within the Teen Titans section, or just the Titan section, sorry, you, you know, Dick goes back and visits Haley's Circus, and you've got a whole story there, uh, which sets him up as being, you know, like dealing with his past, but then re-establishing yeah. him as part of the future. Um, you then get sort of um, more stuff um, to do with um, Batman sort of having to deal with Jason's death. Um, and like you say, this idea of him being injured and just walking into injury, like, almost like yeah I, lo I love there's a great conversation at the beginning where he's like you you used to think with your head but alfred says it to him, you used to think yeah, with your alfred head yeah. now you think with your fists um and it plays out throughout all of it like it comes back to that final issue where there is a moment where he's like he's looking at his hands he's like i could deck this guy mm -hmm. or you know he catches i think he catches like two faces coin doesn't he and sort of He's like, it's over. Like you're done for. Like you know, and he, he, he does knock him down, but it's not like a drawn out battle. He's yeah, like, he about to like kick him. Yeah, yeah. It's just like I'm just done. Um, and so it's sort of it's a nice way of drawing to an end this sort of like the grief period for for Jason Todd, um, and then you know it obviously takes it into the future. So no, it's it's such a well done book. I mean, it's um, weirdly yeah. everyone talks of. You know, it's it, everyone talks about uh, a death in the family, you know, sort of thing, and it's obviously up there. But uh, a lonely place of dying, sort of. If you know Tim, you talk about it. But other than that, it, it doesn't probably get the attention it probably deserves in the wider sort of Batman ethos. Right, and it actually, for those of us who voted to save Jason, Tim Drake is my favorite Robin. So you have to, like, <laughs> if if I if my wishes had been fulfilled, I I never get Tim Drake. That's true, and it was very close, wasn't it? It was, it was like it was a couple of well, less yeah, than a couple of tens. Yeah, or... and Steve mentioned that it was actually rigged, like some guy oh, really set up an uh, an auto. You know, this is early days, but he figured out a way to have a number just to keep auto calling to kill Jason. Wow! Yeah, they really so, didn't want him around. It's crazy. I mean, how much? And there were fifty cents a call too, so it wasn't like mm. that was free at the time. Um, but for me, 
it's, it's so it was a healing process for me, for fans too, for those of us who liked Jason and tried to save Jason, you've given us somebody different and somebody that, who, who arguably, it's a, up for debate, this is a different show, is the best Robin. Yeah. He's not the best hero, but he's the best Robin. Um, yes. And if anyone should take over Batman, it's Tim Drake. Because mm. he's not, Dick's too fun, Jason's too violent. Um, we already saw what happened when, when Azrael took over. Um, yeah. So we know that the only person who, who uh, can match Bruce mentally who may actually in some things be smarter than Bruce is Tim Drake. So, um, so I've always felt like, you know, he's, he's been the one, this is, this just changed the future of the DC universe. Honestly, this mm. one, it, it, because Tim Drake's um, uh, place in it, as far as like, you know, the Shuri of the DC universe is kind of, you know, that's the best comparison. Like Tim Drake and Shuri shares a lot of the same. Um, yeah. I was going to say, because Tim sort of, I'm thinking about, you know, the, his plays. I mean, one of the weird things is you say about this being a transition book, it's all, it, it, it deals with the grief and I think sort of a period, because before this you've had um, Death of the Family and you had, um, you know, you've had things like uh, Dark Knight Returns and that sort of thing. So it's been quite a dark sort of period for Batman. You, you, I, think, I think even before this you've had sort of um, the demon, Son of the Demon and all that kind of stuff. And so you think like, not that it's going to go into a lighter period, but it feels like a more positive, the end of this feels like a more positive ending. I mean, the, the final panel is a reveal as well, like who's been manipulating Two-Face into right. doing it. <laughs> uh, and you get a great little reveal that it's, it's the Joker, uh, which again, done very, very nicely, not overplayed. But you could be like, oh yeah, that's a fun little thing, but you've got uh, a positive future. Not knowing you, you've got like Nightfall. <laughs> Yeah, I and know. All, all these Bane, catastrophes. Yeah, all these other terms, long yeah, there's lots of other shit that comes. Yeah. yeah. Hush hasn't happened yet. Hush is, of course, way later, and that's when Jason comes back. So, mm. um, you know, but that's all of that. All of this has to happen to get to all of that. So, yeah, it is. It just, to me, and, you know, because Batman is really the center of the DC universe now. Everybody wants, it's not Superman. We all know that. Um, mm -hmm. So, it, you know, and, and, Notwithstanding, it's a, again a longer conversation, but um, not super thrilled with Tim Drake's new name, Drake. Like, how is the smartest guy in the DC universe name? His, his new superhero name is just his last name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Didn't work with it. It's like, yeah. what's this? What you call this new team? Well, we've got uh, we've got Wayne, Grayson, and Drake. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, I didn't. Work. I don't know. Like, they've got a real problem with names at the moment because I mean, you know, they've obviously got a bit of a problem with Dick Grayson because yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't read the whole thing, but I know he had a he had a, a, a gunshot wound to the head. And, and now he's Rick, Rick Grayson. It's terrible. Rick Grayson. It was awful. That. It's yeah. awful. I hate that whole run. I, it's really yeah. disappointing. Yeah, it looks like it's coming to an end with Joker War. So, um, actually, good, DC good. Comics in general. My problem with DC Comics in general is um, the. Um, the, I'm, I've got crossover fatigue. And yeah. uh, this, the thing that I like about this book is with a two series crossover, it does change the way that the DC universe happens, but it's not like there's not an add-in to find out what does Superman think of Tim Drake? Who gives a shit? We don't care. Yeah. What does Green Arrow think about Tim Drake? We don't care. Eventually, Tim will meet him. It'll be fine. We'll move on. But it wasn't like everything in DC now is so epic and so crossovery that it's exhausting. Um, and this, 
this was kind of the, unfortunately, while it changed, it also was the beginning. Well, this was successful. What else can we cross over? Yeah. Well, I think it, it seems, yeah, it does. It starts a trend that grows. <clears throat> and you end up with things like Nightfall and, and you know, the, the growth of everything that sort of happens after that. I have to admit, though, like DC at the moment, <clears throat> I read some of the, I'm reading a lot of smaller titles and stuff, like, you know, but um, I'm not reading Batman or anything like that. But like you say, I've, I've just, yeah, like, I, I just don't know. Like, I've, I read the first issue of um, Death Metal, you know, DC. Sort I didn't of like Death it. Metal. No, I read Metal before and I was like, yeah. But it's sort of like so ludicrous and so big and so bombastic that I'm a bit like I just I just lose complete yeah. engagement with them now. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Let's get into yeah. it. Yeah, let's go. Because I was looking, I was like, I've got 20 minutes. So I was going to tell. Right, let's do it then. 20 minutes. Final issue because I've been loving this. So the final yeah, me one, too. I could go for two hours, but <laughs> yeah, it comes out in 1993, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's um, it's. Uh, well, you explain death. It's it's and who she is really because it's sort of there's a bit of backstory to this. Yeah, so death. This is number one. She had a three shot miniseries, Death: The High Cost of Living, Neil Gaiman, of course, who created her, and uh, back is this Backlow um, as the artist. Yes, and um, um, it's not my. I, it's probably my favorite death um, artist, probably because of this. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's and I, that's all probably just because I like this this book so much. But uh, there's other people who've done. I don't know that there's ever been a bad drawing of death. Let me just say that. So, uh, so anyway, so death is is um, Sandman's sister. Um, the endless. I almost picked endless nights, but that would have been cheating. That was way too long. Um, which is so. So dream is one of the seven endless, mm -hmm. and uh, death is his older sister. There, she's second, right? It's destiny, yeah. death, dream. Yeah. So they're the oldest three of the siblings. And um, she is the perkiest, happiest version of death yeah. ever. And um, she even says in this book, she's like, why be scary and creepy when you could just be pleasant? <laughs> and um, so she is like, looks, she is drawn to be like a goth um, teenage girl. And mm. um, she could look like whatever you want her to look like. The cool thing about the endless is depending on who sees them, they look like, so, so it's really meta that the endless look the way they look because that's how Neil sees them for us. Yeah, they were reflective of Neil, pale British guy. So um, they are all pale British people. But and yeah. but if if someone else sees them, they look different, and they, that's addressed in the Sandman series. But in in this version, she just looks like the way that she looks um, was a pasty white girl who wears an ankh and it's genuinely pleasant. Um, and I picked this one over um, The Sound of Her Wings, which is her real kind of first appearance in um, the Sandman series, which I think is Sandman 8, because this is just her story. Uh, she talks mm. about her siblings, but in that, she's a side character, and this, she, this is her first time to shine. She doesn't get a lot of it, but I feel like she's probably everybody's favorite Endless. She's my favorite Endless. Um, and... This is a book where everything happens and nothing happens, and it's excellent storytelling. Um, the characterization is solid. And again, if I'm on my desert island, I have a lot of words to read. Yeah. Well, this this book to me and uh, is is almost like quintessential Neil Gaiman. Yeah. In that way that, like you say, it's 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 everything and nothing. Yeah. You know, it's like there's so Especially much going the way on. This one ends. 
This is part of a mm. three-part miniseries, which nobody does it. Who, who does a three-part <laughs> miniseries anymore? But Neil Gaiman can do whatever he wants. Um, uh, and, and this entire first part is just set up. Um, miniseries now, and I've been reading some Boom Studios miniseries in the Buffyverse. The first book, it's, they know going in this is going to be a trade. I'm writing the first book. Most people are going to read this as chapter one, not yeah. over six months. Where Neil knew you had to wait a month between these, and he was going to get you somewhere and then make you go, God damn it, I have to wait a month? Um, yeah. You know, I, that's what I think is genius about it, too. Well, it is. It is totally that. I mean, it takes you to a point where, like, you want to just keep going. Like, that's the yeah. thing. And that's, and that's the thing about Gaiman's writing, I think. It's just whether it be his books or his comics, like, there's such a. He has such a way of. It, of I read this one, but like basically, like he gets you in sort of a flow. Like it's like stepping into a river, and just going with it. And it's almost like you get just taken along with it. And I just love that how he does that. Uh, you you know, um, in in all of his works, really. But the, one of the things is he's not again not scared to challenge you. Like this book starts with a sixteen-year-old. I think it's around fifteen or no sixteen-year-old. Sixteen and a half, he says. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. He says sixteen and a half. Writing what he said isn't his suicide note, but a, a statement, a statement of his feelings. And it's this sort of notion of like, he's clearly got something, you know, yeah, every teenager goes through a period of apathy and all this other stuff. But he's like, I don't care. I don't want anything. I don't need anything. I don't feel anything. And you do sort of go like, I feel really sorry for this kid. Like, yeah. Call you know, the parents by their first names and they don't seem to mind. Yeah, no one addresses it. The fact that his, his father's like some Hollywood schmutzy lawyer who's sort of like, you know, he's like, yeah, that's what he does. He's a slime ball. And I recognize that he is that. And that the way my mum deals with it is that she goes to these fads of like, you know, she had a Freudian fortnight and yeah. now she went through a hippie fortnight and this other stuff. I'm like, it's no wonder you've reached this point. Um, but it, it never gets away from this thing of like, you're still a teenager like you know if you had someone in your life that would give you guidance you'd probably be oh wait here you go here comes death yeah and that's it and it's sort of like all oh, right and it's so it's just sort of the way he engages you in that it's so well done yeah death um, doesn't tell this story no right she she's not the narrator sexton is and it's so smart she doesn't show up for like page seven or eight mm. of her own first issue of her own first miniseries, Death is Not at the Beach 7. She's not the story. Um, the plot is that every thousand, every 100 years, Death has to live 24 hours um, and then die so that she knows what it's like. And, um, and so in this first issue, she's really genuinely pleased. Even though she knows how her day is going to end, she's just thrilled. And she shows up in a garbage dump, which I find interesting. Like yeah. that's where she, she arrives. <laughs> Um, and that's where Sexton is. Um, for refrigerator falls on him, and yeah. like that's the only real action. The, the action scene in this book is a refrigerator falling on a downtrodden sixteen-year-old boy. Yeah. Uh, well, again, but but that that moment of of fate, that moment of sort of incident, it, it's 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 a shifting moment for both character and story, because up until this point, he's like, I've, I've written my suicide note. I'm clearly want to die. And then when he is confronted with the potential of death, both physically as herself, as yeah. also as this moment of like, if I die, I could die here. Yeah. He's like, he starts screaming for help. Like he is looking for help. Um, and it's almost like then you sort of like, he's like, oh no, actually, 
I'm not sure. Uh, and of course, it is then death that appears. Um, and I, I, she, I like the fact she calls him on his shit as well. Oh, she's awesome. Like, yeah. She's like, what are you doing down there? He's like, an accident. He's like, well, what, what, why are you here? Like, in a yeah. dump. Like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> and then yeah. he, like, he tries to give her snark. She's like, all right, see ya. And he's like, no, no, shit, sorry, yeah. no. Can't be a, he grows up. It's only one day, but his whole life, his life is better when this series is over. Because um, mm. the whole thing only takes place in 24 hours. And in that moment, right, is she just continues to, to and the, the best thing about it, um, she never lies once. She's, she's one of those people, um, the thing that I love about death is she's always telling you the truth, always. There's never been one appearance of death where she's ever lied. She doesn't mm. ever do it. It's whether or not you're paying attention to what she's actually saying. She's always telling you what the answer is, but you have to shut the fuck up and listen to her. When this whole book is sexton, and again, I was older, I was 20 when this came out, but I could still like understand, you know, you're kind of lost, um, yeah. college, you know, I'm a, I'm a junior in college, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, I, what's happening, and here's this kid who's like, I don't know what the hell's happening. You could really relate to him, you didn't have to just be 16. You could be in your 40s, you could be 15, you could, it wouldn't matter because um, he's so fully developed because of mm. what said, because he writes this Kind of manifesto and the whole story is his manifesto to us um we've all been there we've all been like i'm just gonna write down and and then this and it's not like it's it's not a romantic comedy there's no spark no. between them but it's like the right person comes into your life at the right time to send you in the right direction it just so yeah. happens that it's death when you're thinking well, about death. You, you say the thing because that would be the that would be the thing would that, that would be almost like the cliche the sexual spark between oh yeah uh, but that even gets addressed straight away because she right, goes yeah. back and he's obviously ripped all his jeans and she's like, look, take them off and I'll sew them. And he's like, oh, right. And he, he thinks he's in there a little bit. And she's yeah. like, look, I'm not saying you're not cute, but <laughs> no, yeah. that's, that's not, not what this is about. Yeah, like, forget just going to fix on. your pants, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and like I said, that's what they did. Like I said, they just, all that goes out the window. And, you know, one of the other key characters in all this, again, so, you know, that drives the story is a character of, of Mad Hetty um, who's a Hellblazer character. Delano invented Yes. It. But she lives way more in the Sandman universe. Yeah, well, I think that was just the Vertigo thing, wasn't it? These characters, are sort of, they they mixed and merged and stuff. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, obviously, because well, John Constantine comes from, obviously, Swamp Thing, and then it, it obviously all moves right. along. Right, yeah. But um, I, I like the fact that, like, she, you know, again, she's one that's sort of, like, she's not messing around. Like, and again, she doesn't, ever sort of she has a confrontation where she's asked a bunch of sort of like street punk girls to get her a dove yeah and she says to them, oh, here's your fiver and they're like we spent all day doing this and she's like i don't give a shit you told me i, I told you i want a dog you said five pounds there you go yeah um and again like she's she's up front and she's because they threatened something like, well, if you've got five pounds we think you've got more so they tried to mug her and she says to them, like don't just don't do that don't and she like, she gives them the opportunity. It's like you said with death, but at no point does Hetty no. lie. Hetty yeah, never lies. I know. And she doesn't. She never could. She never manipulates anyone. She's so upfront. She just. I just want that. Just leave me alone, and you'll be fine. No, and she ends up breaking one's leg, or she snaps a twig, and it breaks the. Yeah. And it's it's just these little moments, and again, she's like, she's not looking for confrontation. She's like, all of this could have been avoided. I'm, and I'm walking away now. And I find her, like, just in this first issue, like, a really interesting character. Like, you know, she just wants her heart back. 
I've looked for it. I'll keep looking. I want my heart. Like, that's yeah, well, and that's, yeah, because she's hidden her heart from death. That's her story. Is she, yeah. is she's 250. And there's a handful of characters in the Sandman universe, Hob, who, who um, gets to live on. Um, mm. death, death kind of passes them over. And uh, Hetty's one of those characters. Um, death and she have kind of come to some sort of an agreement where she's going to leave or be. Um, and uh, I love Hetty too, yeah, for lots of reasons. She's actually in the new, which unfortunately is ending, I'm very sad, Tim Hunter's Books mm. of Magic. She's back in that. And she just sits around with her pigeons and tells the truth. And everybody's, because she's called Mad Hetty. That's yeah. the best part. Is Sexton spends this whole book thinking Death, who's called Dee Dee, um, is, uh, is crazy. And she's like, just if you shut the fuck up and listen to me. And there's such a, a commentary there about the two. And this is a female that Sexton's telling the story, but he's, he's surrounded by women. Mm. And I think it's really uh, smart. It's really beautifully done. Like the downstairs neighbor um, is a woman who looks like uh, Madam, or is it, uh, I can never say her last name, from um, a House of Whispers. Um, yeah. I never say her last name right, but you know who I'm talking about. She looks like her. And mm -hmm. I, when I first saw it, I was like, hey, but it's not, it's not her. But uh, maybe it is. But uh, so he's got that woman, his mother, the um, lesbian couple that used to work for his mother, Death, Hetty. He's surrounded by these women. And, and it's really like, again, um, Neil knew who his audience was. He's like, yeah. there's a lot of teenage boys who are picking up Death thinking, ooh, I'm in love with Death. Death isn't interested, first of all. Not yeah. women are interested in you. Shut up and listen to them. And so the, the message is very clear that, that Neil is writing, whether it's to his own 16-year-old self or to the teenage boys who would be dating his then teenage daughters. Uh, listen, <laughs> shut up and listen every once in a while. They're not interested in your stupid shit. So um, I just love it. I just love the advice that he's giving his audience because... Um, you know, of course, women read comics, of course, and even in the 90s, women were reading less so than now. Um, but he, he knew exactly who, what he was saying. And I actually think Neil Gaiman brought more women into comics. Oh, oh yeah, 100%. No yeah. doubt about that. Yeah, and I think yeah. because of death. I think death, death mm. was, the gate, was, like you said, the X-Men comic was a gateway, or X-Men cartoon in the 90s. But I also think death in the 90s brought a lot of women into comics. So I'm, I'm thrilled about that. And I think this is kind of a love letter to women, too. Um, women and girls like I, well, I agree I think you're spot on with that I think I think it is I mean one of the things Neil Gaiman you know it's he he again is you know say he's all about his words he's all about telling the story and there's no over sexualization there's no um you know um degrading in any way it's like no they're just the people some of them are nice some of them are not you know so yeah it's like you know even those the sort of like I said the punk girls that sort of take on Hetty like you know they're not even Hetty sort of said, acknowledges like I know you, you know. She like, says <laughs> their names. Yeah, she. Yeah, they are. Yeah, she has that power. Like it's this thing of like they're just there because that's just the path they're on. Like they're not bad. They just and she sort of says like, look, don't go. Please don't go down this path. I know it's been, it's just interesting to see that like at no point is anyone like yeah you're bad for doing this. It's just no. That's just who you are. That's just the path you're on at the moment. And I find that Gaiman does that a lot. You know, in, in, that's sort of one of his things. Is like the, there are very few definitively good and definitively bad people in, in in game and works. It's always at this moment in time, I'm in this position, which which right. puts me this side or that side of the line. 
<clears throat> and it could change, you know, yeah. at some point. Um, and I think that's, you know, he, he likes to do that. And I think that's why I enjoy a lot of what he writes. Um, and it's, you know, it, it, yeah, this book's just, it's, it's almost like, I wouldn't say poetry's a bit much, but he has that flow that feels very poetic. And I think that's why sort of, you can sink into those books and you can enjoy these characters and you get 30, I mean, they're all what, 30, I think this was 44 pages or maybe more than that. I don't know, about 40 pages. It's probably 40, yeah, which is long for a, a standalone yeah, yeah. but but it was worth it. But you do, you sort of get to that, you get to the end and I'm like, oh, shit, I've read that fast. Like, yeah, you know. right. I know. <laughs> but you read, but there's a lot to read. And again, that's yeah. the thing is I was thinking about what to pick. I almost picked the third one mm. of this. But if I'm stuck on an island, I picked one, one that begins and ends, but also gives me a lot to think about with the X-Men. But with this one, with Death, it ends and she has a quest so if i never read the next two i get to there's a he's given me enough information he's given me my three main characters he's given <laughs> me the villain there's a villain yeah here. um and so i can decide what happens i would not necessarily so i like i like stories um you know and that's what i love about comics is you get to the end of a of a, of a run and in general there's always going to be more coming and there's always a tease of what could happen next Kind of like the after credits epilogue type thing, mm. and and so to me picking the first one in this mini series, and as opposed to the sound of her wings, is because this gives. If I'm alone on a desert island, I you know I took the assignment seriously. I'm like, what do I want to do with my time? Well, I want to think about what's happening next. So this gives me the opportunity to tell my own story. He's given me a world. We never find out how Hetty's from London. We never find out how she gets to New York. Um, mm. And Death says, I think in issue two, she's like, "Ah, oh, I wonder how Hetty got here. She must have stowed away. That's too bad. She gets seasick." And yeah. It's like, oh, oh, uh, you know, that's yeah. that's it. That's the only explanation that you get, and you don't see how she gets back to London. We know that she eventually does because she shows up mm. other things, and we know that she knows John Constantine's. Um, mom, Joanna, or Grandma, Joanna, like, you know, yeah. Hattie's been around. Um, so we know she travels the world. And so it's just like a smart, again, excellent writing in issue two, where she's like, oh, I wonder how she got here. But in this one, we don't know. So I wonder nope. that, you know, rereading it, I'm like, how did Hattie get here? I, they must address it later. And then they don't really. Um, so this, if, if I have to spend some time with the book, in addition to it just being thoughtful and beautiful, um, it also gives me something to think about for hours and hours on end. No, I agree. It could be endless debate. Endless um, ah, pun. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did anyone else do that? I'm taking credit for it. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> Edit right around it. Yeah, pun. That's right. Uh, but I have to say, I, I read, I read this, I read issue one uh, last night of this, and I've downloaded the other two, so I'm going to be finishing it out because it's it's great. Um, I love the Sandman world. I love um, I'm you know I, I like the fact it's come back. They've done some good stuff with it. I haven't read all of it. Um, it's not all good. House of Whispers is terrible. Books of Magic is uh, beautiful and unfortunately it's ending in two two weeks. Cat Howard, the fantasy novelist, did the first um, like 18 issues. It's mm. it's really spectacular and it reminds you that JK Rowling needs to send Neil Gaiman a check. Oh well, that's come up recently, hasn't it? I, feel, I saw it on social media. People were a bit like uh, um, they were sort of saying about Harry Potter, and someone came out and was like, "Has anyone else read books of magic?" Because you know you talk got to know what you're talking about. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm enjoying the new like Hellblade as well. Yeah, yeah, that's been really good. 
Yeah, he showed right. up. He, they, they, they tied John in um, to some of the books of magic and the dreaming stuff just to get him set up for his new series. And it didn't work. Like, he, they mm. really squeezing him in. Um, like, he doesn't, you don't need to promo Constantine. Just do a new Hellblazer. People are yeah. going to buy it. It's fine. Um, so, anyway. Yeah. But, I'm sorry. We're at the end of no, this. No, that's on. Yeah. Uh, tell you what, tell you, this has been great. I really oh, enjoyed it. I know. I could have talked for more. Yes, we'll be good. and we will. We'll be back. I'll have you on for something else. We'll definitely do it again. Excellent. Uh, but, but thank you very much. And uh, yes, we will. Uh, we will do it again uh, sometime soon. That'd be great. I appreciate it. All right. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that was a fantastic episode. I thoroughly enjoyed having Tony on the show, and what three great issues Tony chose. Great conversation, great discussion. So I hope you enjoyed that. And we will be doing some more Desert Island comics in the future. So, you know, let us know who you think I should be getting on. Do you want to come on? I'm open to anybody coming on, and let's discuss some comics. But for the rest of the future, uh, more episodes coming for the rest of the year. But if you like the show, get in contact. You can find us on Twitter at 20th Century Geek. You can email me, 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com. I have a website. Go check it out, 20thCenturyGeek.com. All these different things. But more than that, we have a Patreon now, if you really enjoy the show. Uh, and our sister show, Stories Out of Time and Space, the sci-fi movie review podcast. Come and find us on Patreon uh, and support the show. We have many, many tiers. At uh, the bottom tier, you will get a monthly podcast uh, called 30 Minute Thoughts. Uh, the next one up, uh, you get to choose the topic for 30 Minute Talk. You get to vote in a poll for the topic for 30 Minute Thoughts every month. And in the top tier, not only do you get the podcast, not only do you get to choose the 30 Minutes Thoughts, you also get to help vote on a show once a quarter for the mainstream. That's right, so four shows a year, you will get to choose what it is we do. Uh, and we really appreciate that kind of support uh, and that dedication. So if you want to support the show, come over and and, uh, and see what we've got to, to offer. Um, other ways you can support the show, go onto your iPod... Um, iPod, go onto your podcast catcher and give leave a review. Whether it be one star, five star, I don't care. Leave an honest review and let us know what you think about the show. I really appreciate it. It sends us up the charts and all that kind of good stuff. Um, other than that, I hope you enjoy it and have a good time. Stay safe and I'll see you again soon. <laughs>